everyone. Welcome to the Inclusion Podcast. I'm Dr. Julie Costin, and today I am so happy to introduce you to Dr. Jenna Rufo. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Julie. So glad you're here. Um, why don't you start by just telling the audience a little bit about your background and who you are? Sure. So right now, I am currently, in addition to working with you at Inclusive Schooling and helping some school districts across the country, I am working as an assistant superintendent for North Penn School District. Uh, which is a large school district outside of Philadelphia. And prior to my role as assistant superintendent, my career really has been in the field of special education. So I was a special education teacher, an inclusion facilitator, a special ed director and policy specialist. And while all of those things are great and really kind of led me to the point where I am today, I think probably the biggest thing that shaped my beliefs and my career and journey in special ed was growing up with my sister, Nina, and Nina is severely disabled. So just kind of growing up with her, she's 35 years old now, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago that she was in school. Uh, She really had to go through a lot of segregation, and I just witnessed a lot of things growing up that I wondered, well, why? You know, why can't she go to school with us, or why was she being treated in a certain way? So our approach with Nina as a family was always that she was just part of the mix and included in everything we did. Um, So to me, that's my approach to everything, to education. I love that. That's so great. When I think about the first time that I met you, Jenna, it was funny because I've really never met anyone as passionate about inclusion (laughs) as I am. And I'd say you might match my absolute passion for this work. So feels like a good connection. Yes. So as you can hear, Jenna comes from this as an administrator and as a teacher and then also as a sibling. And I think all of those hats or all of those perspectives are so critical in the way you think. Today's episode is really all about, and this is episode number 23, and it's how to shift mindsets about inclusion. We know that this audience that listens works hard to shift mindsets. We know you're the people who are tuning in because you're wanting more and more ideas about how do I move? this along. And so Jenna and I wanted today to share with you strategies to help shift mindsets about inclusive education. Right. So I think when you're implementing inclusion, there's so many things that go into it, right? So you have to think about the structures and the time and the professional development. And all of those things are critical, but in a way there is something that's tangible about everything, right? Mm -hmm. So we can provide more time. We can give people training. But the part that's the most challenging is really talking about how our practices are really deeply rooted in the culture of the school and um, just longstanding ways of teaching and thinking. And so that's really a lot more complicated than any of those other pieces. (laughs) Right. It would be nice if we could say just do these 10 things and then your school will be inclusive. But prior to all of that and during all of that, you're constantly having to adjust to people's thinking and their mindsets. Absolutely. About special education. So when we decided that we wanted to talk to you about this particular topic, we wrote down four big ideas that we're going to talk about, and there are four big mindset challenges that you might be facing. And the first mindset challenge that we're going to talk about is this concept of, if it isn't broke, let's not fix it. Um, I don't know, have you ever heard that in your own system or other places? Sure. And I think it's really easy to romanticize some of the things that we've been doing. So especially when you shift to a new model. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, well, you know, we used to be able to do this and Mm -hmm. things were so much better when we could have this separate program where they got what they needed in this smaller class. And really when you 
kind of rewind and take a look at what those practices were or take a look at your data, they really were not successful. So mm-hmm. um, I think one of the ways that is helpful in addressing this belief is looking at your data. And if is the data showing that it really isn't broke or are, is it not broke for most of your kids? <laughs> um, and I think that that's where it lies. So sometimes the systems and the practices that we put in place work for a majority of our kids, but they don't work for everybody. So looking at that that specific group and are we really serving these kids and how are they actually performing? So sometimes it's actually saying, hey, everybody, it is broken. Mm-hmm. And that honest look, of course, that's not the way you want to say it. But in a way, it's like the system that we pretend is best for all kids might not be. And let us show you how, you know, are our students with disabilities performing on on grade level or not? Um, We have to really look at the actual numbers before we jump into this. It's already working. We're doing just fine. We have to dive deeper into that. Right. And I think part of that, too, when we're talking to teachers or families, it's not about blame. So (laughs) it's easy to think like, well, is everything that I've been doing wrong all these years? Or what do you mean? Like, I've been doing this my whole career and now you're telling me I have to do something different. But the systems that we have in place don't always set people up for success. So, you know, when we have uh, special education classrooms where we have kids from two, three, four different grade levels on Mm -hmm. all different levels of curriculum, you know, we're not setting you up to be successful in that environment. So moving towards an inclusive model, how can we put some more structures in place that will help students be more successful? And moving away from blame is critical for people to start to be Mm open-minded. And so instead of having people sort of feel bad about what they've been doing, I think it's useful to say things like, if you learn something new today, it doesn't mean you were wrong yesterday. Or this concept of if you know better, you do better. So literally to say, hey, we're learning a new skill, a new technique, a new way of thinking. And it doesn't mean that we were wrong before. And it just means we're moving forward. Right. So the second mindset that we wanted to talk about is this idea that, well, they just can't do it. Right. So, (laughs) you know, I just talked about the idea of, well, we haven't set people up for success Um, When we have kids in separate classes and there's all these kids together and I can just hear some people saying, well, you're not setting them up for success when you put them into this regular class and they're so far below and how will they ever catch up? And I've heard that, too. So, you know, there's a gap. Well, they haven't been exposed to the curriculum. So, you know, we're on fifth grade now and they're at a second grade level. Well, the problem with that thinking is if we never if we never move them in, right, then that gap will never close. It's only going to get wider. So we have to really think about maybe they're not necessarily too low or they can't do it, but maybe we have disabled them by not providing them with access to the curriculum. So really looking at how can we shift the thinking of, okay, this child really is bright and capable and has something to offer but we might need to go at it from a different angle. So what are the access points that we can provide for a student um, who is functioning below grade level, either either with alternate ways of showing what they know or modified text or different entry points into the curriculum? Yeah, I think it's a funny argument that I would include the student, but I can't because they're too low. It's funny in some ways because we're using the student as the as the issue, the issue, the problem, the thing to blame, why inclusion can't work. And instead, inclusion really is by design about how do we look at these students from a different lens and how do we see their strengths, their gifts and their talents and see them through that way. We also 
tend to put reading uh, ability with in our minds with intelligence and when you conflate those two things you end up having kids who get stuck at a ceiling because they can't they can't decode and it's quite possible that student might never decode on level and if we don't if we keep them back then they never get access and as you said Jenna really beautifully the gap gets bigger every single year that you're keeping kids out so this idea of they can't um, no one ever said kids have to keep up in order to be included in fact it's actually our job as educators to help kids either catch up or to fill those gaps and if none of those things are possible then to modify and adapt around those challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think another argument that we hear sometimes that's a, a mindset piece is, well, what are they going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, this student with an intellectual disability, what is she going to get out of my class, you know, learning about um, government and history mm -hmm. when we, we almost put this double standard in place that a student with a disability needs to prove that they have something to gain from being part of that class, whereas no other child needs to do that. You know, I look back at my high school career and I think, <laughs> wow, you know, if I only learned all of, only the things that would help me be an assistant superintendent, I probably would have wasted my career, right? I don't speak French anymore. I rarely <laughs> use calculus. I'm not a chemist or a physicist, but the purpose of those things is really providing access to a rich curriculum and those experiences and growing as a person. So um, we don't want to set the standard so low for students that all we're looking at is, you know, well, counting change, time and money, because that's a functional real world skill. You know, that skills, real world, world skills are far beyond just what you need to kind of get through the day. Yeah, I think that jumps right into our third mindset that we should talk about. And it, that is um, but wait, this student needs functional skills. Jenna and I were just looking at a functional skills curriculum that we came across <laughs> recently. So meaning like this last week, we were looking at this particular functional skills curriculum and talk about some of the skills that were in that curriculum, if you don't mind, Jenna. Sure. So it was called a life skills math program. Okay. And in the life skills math program, there was a chapter on um, how do you calculate a bowling score? <laughs> which I know is always useful to me, like if the computers at the bowling alley go down, right? So we had a chapter on calculating bowling, um, laying tile. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. Counting calories, mm -hmm. although we didn't have the keto diet or any of that. And so I don't know how valuable that really would be. Um, but again, it's just these preconceived ideas of like what we think a student would need when really those things are, are so unnecessary. Well, outdated, archaic, Absolutely. like just a bowling score. I would love it. If you have recently calculated your own bowling score, <laughs> will you please email us and tell us about it? Um, because what we're saying is they can't be in because they have to learn functional skills. And then if you look at any functional skills curriculum, um, we were also recently in a school system and one of the topics was how to use a Rolodex. And the same thing, it's like it, the, the concept is as archaic as a Rolodex. Um, <laughs> What is a functional skill right now in kids' lives? Functional skills are learning interesting content curriculum. It's functional to learn how to be in a classroom. It's functional to learn all the skills necessary to get dressed for physical education. Um, it's functional to do all kinds of things in school systems. And many, many parents say, we work on functional skills around the house. 
and we work on functional skills around the week on the weekend. And if that's not the case and kids aren't getting those skills, still it shouldn't be replacing content or core curriculum. Right. And I think when we're approaching it from this angle of shifting mindsets, so what can we do to counteract that? I think that if you are a parent listening, that really one of the most valuable things you can do is to tell your story and what your vision for your child is and what the big picture plan is. I have worked with a family and a young lady named Lauren, and Mm -hmm. I know that her family would be totally fine with me sharing this. Um, They very eloquently said that, you know, their goals and their hopes and dreams for Lauren are things like that she have friends, that Mm -hmm. she go to the prom, she, you know, have a boyfriend and get married one day and have a job and be a contributing member of society. And um, what Lauren's parents shared was none of those things can happen without what is going on right now. So Lauren is not just one day going to walk off into the world and get a job and have a boyfriend and have a a thriving social life if she's not part of the community now and if she's not exposed to all of the things that her peers are doing. Um, Because just think about it, too, just the conversations that happen Mm -hmm. um, from being part of the class and that community. Yeah, beautiful. And um, from an educator standpoint and an administrator standpoint, when you have a teacher who teaches functional skills, I want you to go look closely at that program. I've yet to walk into a functional skill program and thought, oh, this is absolutely the best use of these educators' time and these children's experience. So we've got to take a critical look at what's actually happening in schools as opposed to talking about it uh, in a pretty removed way um, as if it's the best place for Mm -hmm. kids. The fourth and final mindset that I want to talk about today is this thing that I've heard many times, and it's, um, it's this. I wasn't trained to work with students like that. I wasn't trained in special education. I don't have that degree. And so I want to kind of talk about that idea. And so I'm obviously talking from the perspective of a general education teacher. What is your response to that, or how do people handle that mindset, Jenna? Well... You're trained to work with kids, and these are students just like any other student. And I think sometimes that just comes from a place of fear. So mm-hmm. not necessarily I don't want to, just mm-hmm. I'm scared. I don't know how. Um, and I wasn't trained is kind of a, a defense mechanism almost. Like mm-hmm. I'm scared. I don't know how to do this. So yeah. Great. I wasn't trained. I didn't, I didn't get the support that I need. So I think it's a lot of conversations in terms of, you know, what are you afraid of? Like, Mm -hmm. what do you think that you, that this training is that's going to give you kind of the the silver bullet to work with this student and really kind of just looking at the child and there's no magic fairy dust. So it's, you know, special education teachers, while they have an amazing skill set, it's something that the approach to students is really an approach that involves good instruction and differentiation. So I think looking at it from that angle and how can we meet the needs of all of our kids and not just kind of segmenting them as I'm the general ed teacher. So I only work with kids that fit into this box. And if you have an IEP or if you speak another language, you go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not what our, what school is about. So really thinking about how do we look at it? What training do you feel like you need that might make you feel better and the supports that we can provide, but then recognizing that there is not this magic course or silver bullet that's going to all of a sudden inform you and then, wow, now I can have all these kids in my class that, you know, it's not necessarily that linear. 
Yeah, when I look across all of these mindsets, I'm realizing the first step is to get to the bottom of what's underneath Mm -hmm. that, right? And so I love that you said, Jenna, you know, fear is underneath that. And so I wasn't trained, isn't necessarily a person who has ill intent or has or or, um, doesn't like kids with disabilities or isn't willing to try, but it really is uh, someone who thinks I need a very, 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 very special skill set. And nine times out of 10, probably 10 times out of 10, (laughs) you need to be someone with an open mind. You need to be someone with skills with children. um, And then you need good instructional practices. And those three things are really the job of any educator. Something else that I sometimes tend to say to people who say I wasn't trained is this idea of we work in a public school system and our job is to work with every child in our catchment area. And so kind of reframing that instead of I work with this kind of kid and you work with this kind of kid. My first point is there's no such thing as a kind of kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then second, we work with all kids. And so follow that up with what skills specifically do you need in order to be more successful with that particular student? Well, as you know, Jenna, I like to keep these podcasts nice and short for Mm -hmm. people's ability to learn and and attend to um, bigger ideas. We are sure that our listeners have all kinds of mindset challenges. So if you've got a specific mindset challenge that you want to send to us so that we can spend some time talking about it, we're happy to do that. So you can send it to julie at inclusiveschooling.com. You can even send it to jenna at inclusiveschooling.com. And we'd be happy to respond to your question. uh, And maybe we'll do so on another podcast. So kind of to wrap up, when you're thinking about the mindsets of humans as they go through these changes around inclusive education, what would be kind of your last bit of advice for people, Jenna? So I think it's really about having some honest conversations and being willing to um, engage in those difficult conversations and having that idea of challenging your thinking. So challenging even your own personal beliefs Mm -hmm. and where you're coming from and having a relationship with your team that you're working with in order to challenge each other in an environment that's respectful. Um, because really at the root of all of this is that idea of, you know, kind of uncovering that fear or mm. um, apprehension or what's really the basis of why we don't want to change our minds on it. So having those conversations to get at that. Yeah, some people say inclusion happens one conversation at a time. And I think that's true. And I really appreciate all the professional conversations, Jenna, that you and I have had to move things this far together and just love having you on my team as a thought partner. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. So thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join us for our next podcast coming up. This was episode 23, How to Shift Mindsets. And we've got a lot more coming your way. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you. Thank you.